0: Welcome back to our Weird History episode, where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. What are we talking about this
1: week? Well, if you remember back to the Isabel Goodwin episode, the female Sherlock Holmes, and I told you that, uh, and, and you disagreed with me, which is why I'm bringing this particular episode up, that there was no real life moriarty Mhm. Mhm. We are literally talking about a man who went by the nickname the Napoleon of crime. An episode I wanted to talk about quite some time. All right. I also apologize if anyone can hear my fans in the background. It's 100 degrees outside and there's no way I can turn all of them off without dying. I don't think you can, but just in case you can, my apologies. So to start off, the Napoleon of Crime we're speaking about today is a man named Adam Worth, who was born in 1844 in Germany, and mostly became famous for his moniker in the latter half of the century. He was born to a poor Jewish family who then immigrated to the U.S. in 1849 to Cambridge, Massachusetts where his father took a job as a tailor and when he was, some sources say 10, some sources say 14 but in either case and around that time, Adam ran away from home and he moved to Boston where he lived there until about 1860 and then he left Massachusetts to go to New York City and when he was 17 the Civil War broke out And wanting to enlist with the Union Union Army, but one year too young, he lied about his age and enlisted in the 2nd New York Heavy Artillery Battery L and worked his way up to the position of sergeant in just about two months, so pretty quick. And on August 30th, the second battle of Bull Run occurred out in Bull Run, Manassas, Virginia. While he was there, he sustained a wound, was taken to local Georgetown Hospital in D.C., not too far away. And while he was there, he had learned that he'd accidentally been listed as killed in action. Not exactly the type of personality to fix that. He just uh, decided to keep himself as killed in action and left the Army. Sort of. Knowing that his listed name as Adam Warp is technically no longer alive, he went under several assumed names and then began a career as what was something that was called a bounty jumper in the Union military during the war. And this would mean that he would enlist in various regiments under assumed names and receive a bounty. And what this was is when somebody who was conscripted to fight in the war but didn't want to fight, so usually rich people, they could pay someone to go and fight for them. What Worth would do is in some cases he would be paid $1,000 as part of a bounty. He would sign up to be the, a bounty jumper, acquire the bounty, fight for a little bit, and then completely desert under a fake name, sign up again, gain a bounty, desert, and then back and forth back. He definitely wasn't the only one who was doing this, but apparently he had done it enough times that the Pinkerton Detective Agency began to track him down. And that is a name you're going to hear frequently throughout his life. Fearing jail time or possibly worse, because desertion in the army is not good, he fled to New York City, or fled from New York City and moved to Portsmouth. Uh, Portsmouth in Massachusetts. And there are three things generally to kind of remember about Adam Worth. One, he, despite his stint in the army, he detested violence. It said he never drank and he didn't like to gamble, which is sort of an ironic sort of thing with later in his life. After the war was officially over after 1865, he deemed it safe to move back to New York City and started to work with local gangs and began a career as a pickpocketer. Now, sometime in his probably mid to late 20s, he began to form his own gang of New York. There were a lot. And particularly at this time, sort of the best time to do that if you're gonna do gang work. And his own gang started off with just pickpocketing. And then eventually he would be the head of the gang and have his associates move on to organize various robberies and various heists. At one point during this, he was caught stealing a cash box from an express wagon and was given three years in Sing Sing in New York, which is a notorious prison. He didn't last long in Sing Sing, though, because he soon escaped and then resumed his criminal career. Another theme frequent throughout his life. Soon after that, he began taking up work with one of the biggest criminal organizers in all of New York City's history, a woman, who I might have to do a weird history on, named Frederica Marm-Mendelbaum, whom I've heard of before, but I don't have a whole lot of information for you. But she was one of the biggest criminal organizers in New York City at the time, and particularly in the 1860s into 1870s. And with her help, Adam Worth began to expand his crimes to bank robberies and store robberies, starting in around 1866, about a year or so after the war ended. Three years later, in 1869, one of Mendelbaum's safe crackers, a man who went by the name of Piano Charlie Ballard, had gotten himself in jail in White Plains, New York. Worth, with the help of another Person as part of Mandelbaum's gang, known as Max the Baron Shinburn, helped Charlie Bullard escape via both paying off the guards and digging a tunnel under the jail. Now, soon after they busted Bullard out, Shinburn and Worth would actually become bitter rivals because Worth was usually making a whole lot more money than Shinburn, and their criminal activities and Shinburn was not happy with that, but Adam Worth and Charlie Ballard would become best friends. Even a little more, maybe, than best friends. And the two of them would go on to do crime sprees together. On November 20th of 1869, that same year that it busted Ballard out, Ballard and Worth successfully robbed the Boylston National Bank in Boston of around a million dollars and then fled.
0: Oh, Lord. What, a bank robbery or the million dollars? Combination of bank robbery, a million dollars. He's already dead. I mean, it's kind of like a zombie movie, except he's not actually a zombie. Okay. He's the living,
1: walking dead because he's been declared dead. I don't know if I call him a zombie. I, he's more like a ghost. He disappears and reappears under fake names.
0: I like that comparison, too. That one's better than mine.
1: (laughs) Worth and Ballard robbed the Boylston National Bank by establishing a fake health shop, like a tonic shop, next door to the bank. And during the time that they ran the the shop, which was just a front, they had dug through the wall into the bank vault. And as soon as the robbery was over, the Pinkertons were alerted by the bank and they were able to track the two men through their luggage up to New York. Now, with the Pinkertons on their tail, both Ballard and Worth decided that they needed to hightail it not just out of New York, but out of America. And they fled across the pond to England. They decided to settle in Liverpool. And Billard took the identity of a man named Charles H. Wells and styled himself as a very fancy, very wealthy Texas oilman. And Adam Worth took the name of Henry Judson Raymond, who is actually a real, or was actually a real person. That is the name of one of the founders of the New York Times. Now, while the two men were in Liverpool, not too long after arriving there, they had met, and both of them courted a barmaid who went by the name of Kitty Flynn. And very soon she found out, because she was sleeping with both men, found out, their real identities but it didn't favor and eventually kitty married charlie Ballard, but she still kept a relationship with both men a very close personal relationship with both men and eventually kitty would give birth to two daughters now it's not known who the father of either of the child is but william pinkerson son of Alan Pinkerton, the founder of the Pinkerton Agency, wrote that he actually believed that both daughters were fathered by Adam Worth. Interesting. Was there a reasoning behind that? Because Kitty was still sleeping with both men, even though she was still married to Charlie Ballard.
0: Yes, but then why would both daughters be of only one person, is my point.
1: It depends on, I, 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 it, I don't know. Maybe Worth believed that they were both his—I'll get into that, like, Worth and the Pinkertons have a a big history, and I'll get to that at the end of this. But it's entirely possible that Adam Worth thought both daughters were his. In fact, both him and Charlie both believed that their daughters were theirs. But also because they were such good friends and sharing a mistress— they decided that they were both going to be father to both the girls anyway. So the girls had two fathers and one mom. Now, during the time that Kitty and Charlie were off on their honeymoon, Adamworth stayed behind at their lodging house and not content with normal jobs because he's not, he's a criminal. He decided that he would take part in robbing several local pawn shops. And he was successful at this. And when... Charlie and Kitty came home and they returned from their honeymoon. He split the loot with them, which was quite a bit of money. And soon after, the three of them decided to uproot the families and move to Paris in 1871. Now, while in Paris, Worth and his gang, because again, he's got a syndicated crime network going on. It went with him from New York to England, and now it's in Paris. And they decided that they were going to set up a restaurant slash bar called American Bar. Really original with a the name there. And this was an abandoned three floor building near the Paris Opera House. The lower level of the building was both the restaurant and the bar. The upper level was a gambling den. This was actually quite risky because at this time, gambling was illegal in Paris. Interestingly enough, some of the guests that would come to American Bar to gamble were also some of the men who had worked for the Boylston National Bank. So not knowing it, they were giving money directly back to the people who robbed them. Because gambling was illegal in Paris, Charlie and Adam Wirth had worked around it by playing really smart. They actually had tables that at a moment's notice could fold into a wall, like a murky bed. And then it would look like the people upstairs were doing something completely fine and legal, like a social reading club or something. And the... Upper den, the gambling den, also had a buzzer system that could be activated from the downstairs if there was going to be a police raid, which was frequently kind of like when America decided to go dry and there were a lot of underground booze halls. but they would often get raided by the police, but usually have alert systems.
0: Like bad decision. It's not going to do anything but make it go underground instead and make it worse.
1: Right, you, you, you ban alcohol, you ban gambling, they are still gonna continue. They have for forever, not gonna stop. Still looking for Worth for his various crimes in America, William Pinkerton tracked him to Paris and visited the American bar in 1873. And while he was there, Worth actually recognized him because he's a Pinkerton but he was able to keep a low profile until Pinkerton left. Over the course of several months, the restaurant was actually raided numerous times by the French police, no surprise really, and Bullard, Kitty, and Worth decided that they were going to abandon this project and only had it for about two years and moved back to England and moved to London. But just before they did, and it's said that this had happened on closing night of the bar, Worth had one more job up his sleeve before he fled Paris. He was able to swindle a diamond dealer out of all of his diamonds he was carrying with him, all of which were estimated to have been worth over thousands of dollars.
0: How in the world did he do that?
1: Well, he was playing poker or blackjack or something. Maybe he did it through a card game.
0: And why would this guy put all of his diamonds on the line? That's his business and his Oh, life. I didn't say
1: it was necessarily during the gambling. He could have, Oh. like the guy may have had them with him because he's probably looking to sell them and just had some with him. I, I couldn't find that much information on that particular point. It's There's probably more, I don't have the book with me. I can't remember where it's gone to. I'm pretty sure it's at work, but there's a fantastic book, which is how I got into this in the first place called The Napoleon of Crime, Life of Adam Worth, Master Thief, by Ben McIntyre. And there's a lot more in-depth information on that. Now, when the trio and the two children uh, took up residence back in London, they took up residence at Western Lodge at Clapham Common. And Worth, with all of his money, was also able to lease an apartment in Mayfair, which at the time was a really expensive place to live, and began to sort of ingratiate himself into the high society of London. because He wanted to be the distinguished English gentleman. And according to Smithsonian Magazine, quote, he transformed himself into an elegant English gentleman with a flat in Piccadilly, a steam yacht, race horses, and an international syndicate of robbers and forgers starting to sound a little familiar there. Mm. A little. Well, while he's in London, uh, so he's like technically living a double life. He's the distinguished English gentleman rubbing elbows with the high and fancy and rich and posh of, of London. But also he's definitely continuing his criminal activities and When he moves back to London, he forms yet another gang and another syndicate, and soon he had managed to organize this crime network, and he would have associates or intermediaries perform heists, robberies, various safe crackings, swindlings, larceny, burglaries, and anything else he could think about. But those who participated never knew the name of the man they were working for because like with moriarty it's described as a spider web he's the spider in the center the mastermind and everyone else is part of the web that brings it back to the center in addition to the secrecy of not knowing who they're working for Worth also insisted that all of the work that was ever done for him in creating his money and all the burglaries and heists and stuff to be done without inflicting harm on anybody because he didn't want anyone hurt. Plus, technically, that leaves a trace and majority of his work that he would have people do left almost no trace, or at least any trace that could lead back to him specifically, that you could pin anything on. Well, once he's gotten his crime syndicate network going, Scotland Yard caught wind of him, and they tried to catch him, but no luck. And in fact, Inspector John Shore was eventually put on the case to try to catch him, and he wasn't the one to catch him, eventually, but John Shore made it his personal mission to do what he can to put Worth behind bars. Now, after this, things started to sort of go awry around Adam Worth not long after Shore was put onto his case. Adam's brother, John, was arrested in Paris for a forged check. There's a little more background in that, but again, read the book. And then also four of his associates were in Istanbul doing some more work for him and they were passing off forged credits and forged checks and they got arrested in, in Turkey and they were sentenced to seven years hard labor and the Pinkertons were also en route to Istanbul to extradite them back to the U.S. But to help the men out both his brother and the foreman in Turkey Adam had used his influence and his money to buy and thrive police and judges to get all the men exonerated and released. But it cost him a considerable amount of money. And in addition to this, by this time, Ballard's behavior had begun to worsen because he was apparently quite a big alcoholic. And he started to become violent. And again, Worth not only detests violence, he's not really big into drinking and alcohol. Eventually, Kitty and the girls in tow, Kitty, Charlie, and the girls all left London for New York City. In 1876 was a very active year for Adam Worth, probably his most significant year to date at this point in his life. Firstly, recently discovered Gainsborough painting of Georgiana, Duchess of Devonshire, who lived in the 1700s. And generally, you would equate her, she's like the 1700s version of Princess Diana. And that's an actual statement. I believe Georgiana was also a Spencer and is related to Princess Diana, but don't quote me on that. But it was found and put on display. And the story of its finding, according to Smithsonian Magazine, goes as such. After being lost for 50 years, the painting appeared in the home of a Mrs. McGinnis, who was a retired school teacher, who, not knowing exactly what she had, knowing that it was a Gainsborough, had cut the legs portion of the portrait off so that she could fit it above her mantelpiece. After... It was discovered in her home in 1841 by John Bentley, who was a London art dealer. He spent some time haggling with Mrs. McGinnis over buying it from her, and eventually bought it from her for £56, and then sold it to an art collector named Wynne Ellis, who kept it for quite some time. After Ellis's death, the portrait then went to auction, where it was bought by a man named Thomas Agnew for about 10,000 pounds. After acquiring the painting in about the 1870s, Agnew then agreed to sell it to a man named Junius Morgan, whom it may not be, his name may not be familiar to a lot of people, but his son, particularly in America, is fairly famous. Junius Morgan is the father of J.P. Morgan, big guy on Wall Street.
0: That Morgan? Like, the Morgan? The J.P. Morgan? The
1: oh. J.P. Morgan. Oh, snap. That's his son. So, after realizing there's a Gainsborough out there, Junius Morgan, father to J.P. Morgan, the stockbroker, decides he wants to buy the Gainsborough for his son as a present. And Junius Port Morgan pays Thomas Agnew fifty thousand dollars for it, which at the time I believe was the highest-priced portrait known to sell. Like fifty thousand is a lot of money. But the painting would never make it to the Morgan. While it was up on display, Worth happened to go take a look at it because it's a Gainsborough. It's incredibly. Popular for one, but Gainsborough was a masterpiece of portrait painting. And they're really highly accredited paintings. It's like having a Rembrandt of sorts. Upon seeing it, Worth decided, I wanna rob the gallery and steal it. And this is actually one of the handful that he personally took part in. Cause most of the time, again, he's delegating associates and intermediaries to do the dirty work for him much as a crime boss normally does but this is one of the few he had an actual personal hand in he was able to do this with two associates of his john junka phillips and little joe ed elliott the three of them together were able to sneak into the gallery steal the painting and flee Worth told them that it was totally worth doing because he planned on selling the painting and getting a boatload of money. Because if the Morgans could pay $50,000 for it, think of how much you can get for a ransom. But the twist is, Worth had no intention on selling it. He wanted to keep it for his own personal collection. So cheated him. Oh, yeah. But that wouldn't put him above it. To, to cheat people yeah that's true oh no 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 oh no 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 so obviously phillips and joe were not happy about Worth's decision to keep it because they were expecting to get quite a lot of money for helping him out particularly because it was a high profile case i could not find any headlines on it but i didn't have a whole lot of time but i'm pretty sure they're out there and again in the book The Napoleon of the Crime by Ben McIntyre. I'm pretty sure that there are some pictures about some of this stuff in there. I just don't have the book on me at the moment. Obviously, his associates not happy about getting any money for, for this. They tried to put Scotland Yard on Worth's tail because they weren't already on his tail anyway. Phillips tried to get Worth to talk about the heist in front of a Scotland Yard informant. And when Worth found out, he immediately fired Phillips because you can't have open mouths, right? Little Joe was given some money for his troubles and uh, returned back to the U.S. Upon his return, he decided he was going to keep up his crime spree and try to rob the Union Trust Company, but was arrested. So after his arrest, Little Joe decides he's going to talk to the Pinkertons because he's got lots of, Stuff to dish on Adam Worth, right? The Pinkertons being in America, although they can travel. They, they traveled internationally. I got we gotta do an episode on Pinkertons, they're amazing. But they having this information about Adam Worth and the Pinkertons also obviously looking for Adam Worth and have been for quite some time, especially William Pinkerton, who's in charge of the detective agency at the moment, alerted Scotland Yard about his whereabouts. But Scotland Yard was not able to pin anything on Worth. They tried to look into his mansion, particularly because in in referencing the Gainsborough painting, but Worth would frequently hide it in various locations around his mansion and it traveled with him wherever he went. He kept it in a custom-made briefcase. Now, during this time, as I mentioned, Adam Worth had begun to travel partly because he wanted to get the police office tails, but also because I'm sure he could figure out he could commit crimes anywhere. So might as well give it a try. And of course the painting went in tow and his special made briefcase. And everywhere he went, associates, intermediaries, his crimes, his gangs, everything followed him because he's the crime boss. And at one point he decided he was gonna travel down to Cape Town, South Africa to try to swindle some of the the diamond mining that was going on there and eventually he was able to con his way into the possession of around five hundred thousand dollars worth of uncut diamonds
0: that's a lot of money and uncut diamonds well the raw diamonds is what you're saying
1: yeah five hundred half a million dollars of raw diamonds but that's not where my brain first went. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of money, but my brain immediately goes to how did he do that? Would you like to know?
0: Uh yeah. <laughs> do I really have to say
1: it? <laughs> no, but I'd ask anyway. You'll you'll like this one. This was interesting. So this was actually done by Worth posing as a feather merchant. I don't know what kind of a merchant that particularly would have been, particularly in Africa, but I mean, millinaries was a big thing for quite a long time, so I don't know if that was in relation to millinery, but he posed as a feather merchant and ended up befriending the postmaster of the local post office in Cape Town. And the reason that is important is that the diamonds would be shipped by a ferry to a ship that was going to England, and if some reason the diamonds that were being shipped to England missed the ferry, they would be stored in the safe at the post office. Seemed like a safe place to put it, right? Mm -hmm. So once he had befriended the local postmaster, at some point, the postmaster had to leave the post office or something. At one point, Adam Worth, going under an alias, posing as a feather merchant, befriending the local postmaster in Cape Town, South Africa, ended up at some point being left by himself in the post office probably for just a handful of minutes. But during this time, which was the window he was hoping for, he made a wax impression of the key to the safe and then went and had it copied. And then the next time that the diamonds were supposed to be shipped to the ferry so they could go to England, he sabotaged the delivery, making the diamonds have to go back into the safe. Knowing that, because he had a hand in it, Overnight, while they were still in the safe waiting to go on to onto the next ferry, he snuck into the post office, opened it with a key that he copied, and stole all the diamonds. And then what he did is he transported them back to London, where he founded a, a, a company called Weinert & Co., which was named after his associate, Ned Weinert, who ran the company. It was a diamond-selling company, which would sell diamonds in general, at a lower price than the leading competitors, but it would obviously sell those uncut diamonds that he stole so that now you're selling them and they can't exactly be traced, plus they're uncut anyway. And that made him a boatload of money. So that's all of his um, career life, if you will. So apparently in his 40s, in the late 1880s, He met a woman named Louise Margaret Bullion and courted her. But this entire time, he's still using his consistent fake name of Henry Raymond. It's entirely possible that Louise never found out his real identity, or at least not until later. The two would eventually have two kids, a son and a daughter, and the son will play into this in a little bit actually quite interesting. Now, although often on the run from the law or with the law right on his tail, Adam Wirth was able to grow his crime network internationally for close to two decades until his downfall, which began in 1892. Having heard that his old friend, Charlie Ballard, who had ditched him and moved to America, was now currently in jail in Belgium, that he was also had been captured along with Worth's criminal rival, Max Shinburn. They're both in jail in Belgium. He decided he was gonna pay his old friend a visit. But on the way, when he got there, he found out that unfortunately, Charlie Ballard had passed away. But while he's in Belgium, because he can't seem to resist crime, He decides he's going to attempt a robbery of a money cart in Liege, along with two of his associates who came along with him, one of them being his bodyguard. The attempt failed. They got caught, or at least Adam Worth got caught. His two associates were able to flee the authorities. And this happened on October 5th of 1892. While he's in jail in Liege, Worth wouldn't say a word to the cops. They'd ask him his name. He wouldn't say anything. Nothing. He waited and waited to hear any news from his wife and his children, but nothing came. He did hear from Kitty Flynn, though. Remember, Kitty Flynn was a very close friend with Adam Worth and wife of Charlie, and she offered to help finance his defense in court, and. Adam Wirth's trial began on March 20th of 1893. During the trial, the prosecutor, having had information from the NYPD, from Scotland Yard, and from Max Shinburn, used all the information they had on Adam Wirth against him in trial, which is a lot of of information. Wirth vehemently denied all charges except the one that landed him in jail in belgium and he claimed that it was quote a stupid mistake done out of the need for money which was not true obviously because adam work had lots of money he also claimed in court during the trial that all the money that he had acquired over the years were from legal gambling dens nothing illegal he'd ever done in his whole life and all of the accusations from the Pinkertons and Scotland Yard, anything from America, anything from England, everything was said against him was completely heresy. Though I'm sure Adam Worth had a fairly good lawyer, he was found guilty and sentenced to serve seven years for his attempted robbery and would serve this sentence in Louvain Prison, just east of Brussels. And while he was to serve his sentence, he assigned his associates, Johnny Curtin, to watch over his wife and kids while he was gone. The first year he was in jail did not go well for Adam Worth. It is believed that Shinburn, who had gotten out of jail early, had hired other inmates in the prison to beat up Adam Worth on more than one occasion. Whenever Shinburn could afford it, He would hire people in the jail to beat up his rival. Additionally, and this is a pretty bad part actually, for at least in terms of Worth's personal connections, he found out that during his first year he was in jail, Johnny Curtin, who was supposed to watch over his wife and kids, had not only seduced his wife Louise, but then abandoned her. And soon after, she was also admitted to a local asylum in London. I don't know if it was Bedlam or another local asylum. And the first year, he's consistently being beat up. Shenburn's kicking his butt, technically, literally. His wife is assaulted. His wife is abandoned. Now she's in asylum, and his kids moved to America to live with her uncle John.
0: Not cool. That sounds terrible and horrifying.
1: Yeah absolutely it really did a number like the the entire the time that he spent in jail really did a number on adam worth he he definitely came out changed not completely but definitely changed for sure he spent four years in prison served only four instead the full seven because he was released early on good behavior and left levon prison in 1897 and very quickly, for a brief time, returned to his life of crime. Because he obviously had no money by this point. And he moved back to London, where he stole about 4,000 pounds worth of money from a diamond shop to finance himself for the things that he wanted to do. While he's in London, he goes to the asylum to visit his wife. But while he's there visiting her, she doesn't recognize him. We've mentioned it before about mental asylums uh, and the Nellie Bly episode. Actually, the one right before this, we talked about when she's there and all the stuff that they do to you and how understaffed and abusive it was. it don't mess with anybody. Unfortunately, giving up on his wife because there's nothing he can do. He decides he's going to travel to New York City where his children are with their uncle. So he's going to visit his brother and kids. And after visiting with him, he finally decides he's going to meet up with William Pinkerton and talk to him. And talk and talk and talk he did. in fact, Worth spilled the beans on all the events in his life to William Pinkerton. And in fact, there's so much detail that William Pinkerton even wrote up a manuscript about what Worth told him. Here's a really interesting part, Lauren, which I kind of wish you were still down here for, because I did not know this was out here. That manuscript, among obviously many other manuscripts, but that specific manuscript is still around today. It is in the archives of the Pinkerton Detective Agency over here in Van Nuys. I didn't know that it was over here. Neither did I. I'm not going to be in California much longer. I'm not going to make it over there. Now I'm really sad. I've always liked the Pinkertons. They're very fascinating. Ah. Regardless, though, with the help from William Pinkerton, Adam Worth returned the Gainsborough painting. Because what OK, so I, we, we kind of dished the Gainsborough a little bit. So let me backtrack a little on that. So as I mentioned, he, when the Pinkertons in Scotland Europe came calling to try to find the Gainsborough after he'd stolen it, and he hid it throughout his mansion, but he also had a custom Avery briefcase which he would carry with him, because anytime time he left the house, he would take it with him. By a certain point, but before he went to Belgium, he shipped the Gainsborough to the U.S. and secreted it, I believe, with his brother and his, uh, his brother John in New York City. So, for a good 25 years, he'd held on to this Gainsborough painting. Everyone knows that it it got heisted. But after that, no one knew where it went to. And Adam Worth held on to the painting for 25 years. Most of the time, it's storage and being hidden away. So now he's in America. He knows where he left it. He gets it out, shows it to William Pinkerton. And with Pinkerton's help, Adam Worth returned the Gainsborough painting of the Duchess of Devonshire to Thomas Agnew and Sons, the company, the auction house, and they were able to. It is more like a selling it. It's not just they just returned it. Adam Worth actually gained twenty five thousand dollars for the return of it, and this exchange specifically happened on March twenty eighth, in nineteen oh one, and after this. Adam Worth collected his children, took his $25,000 plus whatever you probably have left over from the money he stole from the diamond seller, and where, moved back to London with his kids, where, quote, he lived extravagantly on the proceeds of his businesses as a receiver for an international agency of thieves. Because, again, he's still a crime boss. But here's a really interesting thing. I told you his son was going to come back into the picture. In addition, after meeting with William Pinkerton, apparently Adam Wirth and William Pinkerton drew up an agreement regarding Worth's son. That after a certain point in time, probably when he came of age, Adam Wirth's son would become a Pinkerton himself. Thought that was cool. Was not expecting that. That's a little bit of a twist.
0: Just a small amount of a twist right there bam Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah the 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 company the detective agency that's been dogging my dad for the last 30 plus years yeah i'm going to become one of them it's really interesting fascinating Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm i kind of want to look it up and see what kind of career his son had with the detective agency if i can find the correct name of his son But Adam (laughs) Worth, like I said, moved back to London and lived with his kids. They moved back in 1901. And he would be survived by his children on January 8th of 1902 when he passed away. And he was buried in Highgate Cemetery in a mass grave with the record of his death listing him as Henry J. Raymond, his assumed alias. One of the, the the one he consistently used. It wasn't until 1997 that the Jewish American Society for Historic Preservation actually paid to have a headstone engraved for him specifically because again he's Jewish. So go back to the beginning for that one. And on the tombstone it reads Adam Worth, A.K.A. Henry J. Raymond, the Napoleon of Crime born 1884 died 1902. I think that's cool it literally reads on his headstone the Napoleon of Crime pretty cool
0: that is kind of cool yeah I mean the Napoleon of Crime well I'm about
1: to get into it give me a second I'm about to get into it so Obviously those who are familiar with Sherlock Holmes knows professor Moriarty. I'm a big fan right here. And so is Lauren. And those who are familiar with the backstory of the character of Sherlock Holmes also knows that he was based on a real person, Dr. Joseph Bell, who was Conan Doyle's mentor when he was doing his medical degree. If you think about it, Almost every character that a writer creates and writes about usually has a connection to a real-life person, and Moriarty was no different. In fact, any conversation between Conan Doyle and Dr. Gray Chandler Briggs, Conan Doyle admits that, quote, the origin of Moriarty was Adam Worth, who stole the famous Gainsborough in 1876 and hid it. For over a quarter of a century. I told you there was a real life Moriarty. I admit my defeat. <laughs> and I bow to you. Now to my Sherlock Holmes knowledge. I am a Holmesian. What can I say?
0: A Holmesian?
1: Well, there's either a Sherlockian or a Holmesian. And I think it's just mostly dependent whether you're from the U.S. or from England. Either that or one is more of an academic base and one's more just of and like writer based. But there's either the Sherlockian camp or the Holmesian camp. I can't remember which one was which. As I said, I bow. I bow to my Sherlock knowledge. Please bow to my Sherlock knowledge. <laughs> she has schooled me
0: in the fact that there was someone whom Professor Moriarty was based off of. It was a real life Moriarty.
1: He did die, but not over Reichenbach Falls. But Adam Poor Worth did die penniless. So Adam Worth was pretty much, I don't know how famous he really was. I mean, he was famous to the people that tried like Scotland Yard and obviously the Pinkertons and the stealing of Gainsborough in the 1880s or sorry, 1876. But I don't know how particularly famous he was during his life, other than that, that people knew either of him or knew of his crimes, but didn't know that it was him as the criminal mastermind, Uh, at least until the part that they were aware that he stole Gainsborough and Conan Doyle used him as inspiration. But even then... As a Sherlock Holmes fan, Lauren, you didn't know that Moriarty was based on a real person, and I just told you who he was. So I I don't think that most people remember him today. I don't even know how famous he was, even during his own lifetime. But he's still remembered by some and has made his way into both movies and TV. Because of course he has. Why not? In the film, Harry and Walter go to New York from 1976, starring Michael Caine, as Adam Worth, it's an interesting, I haven't watched this because I just found out about it, but I kind of need to find it. Plus, it's Michael Caine, so why not watch it? Although the character of Adam Worth portrayed by Caine is accurate to Adam Worth as the criminal mastermind that he was, the film itself uh, is fabricated in terms of the events that take place. And there's also, for those who are fans of some of these shows, you may also recognize, recognize the name of Adam Worth because he makes his mark in the show in Criminal Minds, Leverage, and Sci-Fi's Sanctuary as either pseudonyms or actual villains. To end off, as for the painting, The Duchess of Devonshire. End off with this one. After Thomas Agnew and Sons repossessed it, it was once again sold to the Morgans. This time it's at $50,000. In the early 1900s, it was sold to J.P. Morgan for $30,000. Still a pretty hefty sum. In 1991, Georgiana, the Duchess of Devonshire painted by Gainsborough, went to auction once again. This time at Sotheby's. And it was actually bought by the present Duke of Devonshire, for $265,500, and she currently hangs at their home at Chatsworth. So what'd you think?
0: Mind-boggling. I didn't know he existed, and the fact that they sold it to the Morgan family, the the painting a, a second time to the Morgan family for only
1: $20,000 less when he never got it the first freaking time. I think they may have cut the Morgans a little bit of a deal, given that it was 25 years in between buying it the first time and the second time. Like, yeah, this has been a bit of a trouble. Let's knock a little bit off. I don't know. But maybe.
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
1: But now I feel like I'm going to go watch Great Mouse Detective. And Uh listen to Vincent Price sing The World's Greatest Criminal Mind. That is my favorite Disney movie, and it's Sherlock Holmes, and it's been surprised. What's not to like?
0: That's true. <laughs> I'm gonna go and go to sleep because I'm still tired.
1: But I hope you liked it. I thought that would tie in fairly well with Isabella Goodwin. So we had the female Sherlock Holmes, and now we have the inspiration for Professor Moriarty. I liked it.
0: It was good. in that case, shall we end it here? unless you got anything you want to share nope i won't i don't i won't (laughs) i'm tired nope not today i did do the post for the day go check out our photo friday it's got cool cool posts on it or at least i think they're cool i'm the one that does them we've got our archaeology in the news today in history and photo friday check them out we'd love for you to follow us History Explains It All underscore podcast.
1: Yeah. Yep. I'll Hit us you- up with suggestions. If you like this and you got other people in mind, feel free to let us know. I'm happy. Anything Weird History, bring it on.
0: I think anything in general can be a main topic to a Weird History topic. That's true. We love to hear your suggestions anyway, so let us know. On that note, that'll do for this episode of History explains it all. And we hope to see you next week as we trek through history to explain it all.
1: <laughs> Bye. Bye.